you standing with me? Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord, the book of Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 4. If I could have a little more monitor, Brother Jeremy. We're continuing our walk through the Beatitudes. Bible says in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I've got a lot to say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expedite as much as I can. For those of you that were not here last week, we covered verse number 3. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. And I'm going to give you some of the highlights. All of us need recovery because the world isn't perfect and we're not perfect. Everybody here has been hurt. You've got hang-ups and you've got habits that you know are hindering you from being all that God has called you to be. So everyone needs recovery. If you remember the, the word recovery is an acronym, I'm going to give you a, a, a scriptural principle that ties into a, a letter as we walk our way through these Beatitudes. The root cause of our pain, as I talked about, is our desire to control things. We all like to be in control and the more insecure you are, remember me telling you, the more you want to control things. And when you want to be in control, it's a form of wanting to be God. Ultimately, God's in control of everything. But when people want to always control, you end up with fatigue, frustration, and failure. So how do you break out of that? The first step, if you remember me talking about, is that you got to get past denial because denial is what keeps you from moving into recovery. You cannot fix something unless you first acknowledge something. And people who always live in denial never fix anything. you got to be willing to admit, hey, this right here, got to deal with this. What's the antidote? God's antidote for denial is pain. We rarely change when we see the light, but we do change when we feel the heat. So God uses three areas to get our attention. He remembers, or rather he uses crisis, such as illness, stress, loss of jobs. He'll use confrontation. Someone that cares enough to say, you know what, you need to fix this. You're about to lose this. You need to get everything in order. There's an old saying in Texas that says, if one person calls you a horse's rear, ignore it. If two people call you a horse's rear, look in the mirror. If three people call you a horse's rear, buy a saddle. If three people call you a workaholic, buy you a saddle. If three people say you got a problem with anger, buy you a saddle. If three people say you need to get some help, buy a saddle. In other words, everybody can't be wrong. There's got to be an element of truth. There's like some of these 
celebrity where people start coming out saying they abused them years ago. Well, if one person says it, eh, you're out for money. 87 people? There's probably something to this thing. And so the more people that acknowledge, hey, you, you've got an anger problem or whatever the problem is, they can't all be wrong. There's probably an element of truth because you just got mad over people telling you you got an anger problem. And they'll use catastrophe. Hopefully God won't have to let the bottom fall out of everything before you'll listen to him. And what sometimes happens is that the Lord steps back and lets us reap what we have sown, feeling the impact of our own dumb decisions. You know, you can, you can keep wanting something bad enough and praying for something bad enough that God says, all right, this isn't what, what I want for you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back and let you start walking down this road that you want to walk down so bad. Even though I know it's going to lead to catastrophe, I'll let you do it. Because everybody has their own human will. God didn't take your will. Do you realize that God is more worried about your soul than he is about your emotions? And God does not care about keeping you happy. He wants you to be saved. And so if it means that catastrophe happens, then so be it. If you can be saved because the result of it. So the first step, if you remember, in recovery, if you remember R, realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. This is the reality step is you got to first realize you're not God. But today we're going to talk about verse number four. It's the second step, and this is what I call the hope step. Happy are those who mourn. E, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. The good news today is that there is a power source that everyone has the same access to plug into. And what you cannot handle on your own, God can help you handle. problem is people keep struggling is because they try to do it on their own. And you can't do everything on your own. You've got to realize that God is there to help you, not to hurt you. There are three parts that I want to talk about in this road to recovery. First, you've got to acknowledge that God exists. Most of us today have no problem with this, especially in a rural area. You can't find anybody lost in Catahoula Parish. Nobody's lost. Everybody's saved. But there are people out there that are atheists. There are people out there that are agnostic. There are people out there that believe that God is a woman. I mean, you could go out there, you could find everything you want to find about who God is. But do you realize it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian? It takes more faith to believe against science than it does to believe what science validates. See, the more scientific discoveries we make about the universe, the less people are willing to say that I believe this all just happened by accident. I could take a watch completely apart 
put all the pieces in a paper bag, shake it up, and if it came out as a watch, the odds would be pretty incredible. When there, where there is a creation, there must be a creator. Where there is design, there must be a designer. Where there is effect, there must be a cause. And Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Psalms 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Everywhere you look, you walk out these doors, God designed nature that even nature declares the handiwork of God. The trees and the stars and the skies, if you look up, you can see the thumbprint of God everywhere. And Psalm 14 and 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Bible says it is foolish not to believe in God. It's irrational and illogical not to acknowledge that God exists. And it's an absolute fact that God still changes lives today. You can look around here and realize that if you remember where God brought you from and look to where you are now, you can just stand and declare that there is a God because I wouldn't be where I'm at today had it not been for the grace and the power and the mercy of God. Aren't you thankful that God still changes people's lives today? Unfortunately, most people get their ideas about God by thinking that he's like our parents. And that's tragic. Because if your father was aloof and unloving, then you tend to think that God is aloof and unloving. If your parent was somebody to be feared, then you subconsciously think, I need to be afraid of God. If your father was abusive, then you tend to think that God is abusive. If your parent was uncaring, you tend to think that God is uncaring. And instead of making, instead of God making you in His image, then you make God in your image. Sometimes you'll hear people say, Well, my idea about God is dot, dot, dot. Well, who made you the sole authority? Just because you have a certain viewpoint of who God is, that does not mean that's who God is. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Regardless of our viewpoints or our opinions of God, it will not change who God is. So you have to acknowledge that there is a God. That's the first step because if the Bible says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So the first step to coming to God is you have to believe in God. If you didn't believe in God, you would not be responding to God. But the Bible says it's given unto every man a measure of faith. That seed of faith is enough faith to believe in God. 
It's enough faith for you to receive the Holy Ghost. It's that that seed of faith. So you got to believe in the existence of God, and then you have to understand God's character. What is he really like? Because until I know what God is really like, I can't trust him. Because I'm not going to trust something or someone that I don't know anything about. When we were evangelizing, we pulled for three years in an RV. And our girls, we didn't have Millie. We had Sadie, Sophie, and Ava. And Ava was only about six months old, seven months old when we started evangelizing. And we would go preach somewhere. We'd stay three, four, five weeks. And naturally, they're going to find friends in the church. They're going to make friends. And people had good motives. But they'd come up to us and say, we want, to, we want your kids to come stay the night with us. And y'all just, y'all just go have fun. And my wife would be like, oh, thank you. No. And she wasn't rude. But we'd get in private and she'd go, I don't even know these people. You know you mamas what it's like. And me, I'm like, take them. We'll see you in a few days. But you know, it's hard to trust someone that you don't know. You wouldn't just drop your kids off at the stranger down the road's house because you don't know them. And it's hard for people to trust God when they don't know God. But he wants to be known. He would not have come to this earth had he not wanted to be known. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 the Living Bible says it like this, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all, and in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth, the things we can see and the things we can't, the spirit world with its kingdoms and kings, its rulers and authorities. All were made by Christ for his own use and glory. He was before all else began, and it is his power that holds everything together. If you want to know what God is like, you've got to look at Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you love truth, you'll love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you'll love truth. That's why people that say they follow Jesus and they love Jesus, but they don't follow truth, that there's something mixed up there because you can't follow Jesus without following truth. They're the same exact thing. And the only way to know God is to know his word. This is why I'm such an advocate for bringing your Bible to church is because this is a form of taking Jesus with you when you go to church. You say, well, he's already here. Yes, he is. But this is, this is an expression of my love, that I want to have my word with me when I go to church. God knows all about my situation. He knows all about my habits, my hurts, my hang-ups. He knows the good and the bad. He, nobody knows what I'm going through. People say that. Nobody knows what I'm going through. That's, that's not a, a true statement. Nobody on earth may know what you're going through. But God knows what you're going through. This is what the Word says, Psalm 56, verse 8. You know how troubled I am. You have kept a record of my tears. Aren't they listed 
in your book. Psalm 31, 7, I am radiant with joy because of your mercy. For you have listened to my troubles and have seen the crisis in my soul. Psalm 69 and 5, my sins, O God, are not hidden from you. You know how foolish I have been. If you want to find out how the humanity of David, you just read the Psalms and you'll find him pouring his soul out to God. David did all kinds of wrong but he's still known as the man after God's own heart because he understood that there's a tender place in the presence of God called honesty and sincerity before the Lord. God knows your good days. He knows your bad days. He knows the dumb things that you do, the foolish decisions, and amazingly, God still loves you. The fact is this, that God is not shocked when you do wrong. He knew it was coming long before you did. And even when he knows why you did it, he even knows why you did it. God knows the motives of the heart. He knows all about it, and he still loves you. Think about that. We write people on, we carry invisible Sharpies, and when people mess us, we just put a big old X on them. Done with you. That's what we do. You ain't going to hurt me like that again. You ain't going to do me like that again. And we write people off. And God does not write people off. If that was the case, he'd be in heaven all by himself because we're just a bunch of mess-ups. We can't lie good. We can't do anything good. Bible says, in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Yet in spite of everything that we've done, God still loves us and he cares about our situation. Not only does God know you, he cares about your situation. He knows that we are, the Bible says, but dust. On our best days, we are feeble. On our best days, We'll never come close to deserving the grace and the mercy of God. Oh, I'm talking about the best day you could ever have. You're not even close. I'm not even close. But I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. God's love is not based on our performance. It's based on his character. This is where we miss it right here. Because we think the better we do, the more God loves us. And when we start messing up, that God loves us less. Wrong. Wrong. God's love is not based on how much you pray. It's not based on how much you read your Bible. It's not based on how much you give on the offering or all of the good deeds that you could do. His love is not based upon that. His love is rooted and established in his character. And that does not change. He loves you with an unconditional love. Now, that doesn't mean he approves of what you do. He doesn't approve of wrongdoing. And the day of judgment will be sorted out at that day. But he loves no matter what you do. Just like you with your child. 
that you know they do wrong. You know they do things that you don't approve of, but you still keep loving that child. God's character cannot change. And because his character cannot change, that means his love cannot change. Because if God's love changed, then that means that God would change because God is, and the Bible says that God is immutable. That means he cannot mutate. To mutate means to change. So God cannot change. He is immutable. God loves you not based on, if you had a bad day, God still loves you the same as if you had a good day. All you people that have bad days, y'all love that, huh? We have bad days, but God still loves us the same. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him, for he knows that we are but dust. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We've got to get over this mentality. And it's, it's, it's a mentality that is our default mode because Adam and Eve felt like because they messed up that God would love them less. So they went and hid from the one who loved them the most. Isn't it strange how when we do wrong, we withdraw from the one that loves us the most, which is God? That's that carnal nature inside of us that wants to pull back when we should be going towards. Because God is the embodiment of mercy and grace. He is the personification of perfection. And he is the only place that we can go and not have to worry about being judged. You know, the Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. You know what that means? It means for those who are saved, those who have received the Holy Ghost, those who have been born again of water and of spirit, bathed in his blood, he left us the measure to judge ourselves by. This right here. And if judgment begins at the house of the Lord, then the Bible says that we won't be judged. Now, I know there's this theory that says, and, and, and I'm not here for debate. I'm just telling you this is how it is, okay? I've read the book. That everybody is going to stand at the white throne judgment and be judged. All right? But if you've made it in the rapture, it's because you already judged yourself against this book. And you have lined your life out in accordance to this book. Now, we, will, we, we all will be judged. It's whether you're going to be judged by this book on earth or you're going to be judged by this book at the white throne. But you will be judged. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And don't you realize that the Bible says the church is going to judge angels? You realize you're going to be judging angels? We've got this mentality. People want to see angels. I want to see an angel. Well, I'm of this mentality. I'd rather see Jesus than see an angel. 
I'd rather see God move than see an angel. Now, I'm not. I'm not knocking people who see angels. Okay, there's some people got that. They just that's their thing. They can see angels, and and I felt angels. I've never saw an angel. But we're so mystified with angels, and the Bible says that they're looking at us, wishing they could be a part of what we're experiencing. So you gotta you gotta judge yourself according to the word of the Lord and realize that God's love is the same every day. It doesn't go up. We we look at God through our the through the lens of humanity. And because our love changes and goes up and down, and our moods change and go up and down. Anybody, anybody just moody sometimes? Anybody's spouse moody sometimes? They're like, I really don't want to lie in the house of the Lord, but I don't know what to do. God's not like that. God does not go like this, up and down, up and down. God's love is a constant. And it doesn't matter what happens. It's a constant. So God, you got to realize that God can change you. Not only does God know about your situation, not only does he care about your situation, but he can change you and he can change your situation. Sometimes he changes you. Sometimes he changes your situation. Sometimes he changes both. You realize that God will use your situation to change you? Because if you had no problems, how would you be challenged to change? Excuse me. Problems force you to change. They force you to self-analyze and say, okay, I need to work on this here. I need to do this here. I could do better with this here. But if you never have the problems come, then you can never change to match the character of Christ. Ephesians 1, 19 says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believed him. Jesus answered in Luke 18, 27, what is humanly impossible is possible for God. Some people focus all their life on the past. Well, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I could have changed that. And they're literally held captive by their past. Oh, they still come to church. They still give in the offering. They still go to the prayer room. They still do everything that you're supposed to do, but they're not embracing who God's called them to be because they're so hung up on what they did wrong in the past. It's amazing how God will forgive us, but we won't forgive ourselves. Everybody's got a past. Touch your neighbor and say, you've got a past. And you may say this, you may not even know all of their past. You may think you know it, but you may not know all of it. Only God knows all of it. But it's like driving in a car and you're using the rear view mirror the whole time. It's helpful because it gives you perspective. 
But looking at your and looking at your past does give you perspective. But you're not supposed to live in your in your past because whatever you focus on tends to repeat itself. You got to realize that your past is part of your testimony, but it shouldn't be what dictates your future. You can't live holding yourself hostage over situations that happened years ago. There are people that are true victims of circumstances because things that happened that they they had no control over, but they're allowing it to control them for the rest of their life. People that did things and and said things and, 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 and you beat yourself up over all this junk and you come to church with it and then you put your baggage down and you come to the altar and you feel the liberty of the Lord and then you pick your baggage up and you walk out with it and you repeat that cycle over and over and over and that's not the will of God. So you have to accept and realize that there is something and someone that can help you through all of your situation. It's not enough just to believe in God. Because that hasn't wiped away the hurt. It takes more than mere, to, mere belief to plug into God's power. But Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Willpower alone can only bring you so far. I mean, I know, I know a man right now that he's passed away, but he was told he couldn't smoke anymore because he had heart problems. And so the day of the surgery, he stood outside of the hospital. He had smoked years and years and years and years. He stood at the door of the hospital, smoked it to where he couldn't even hold on to it anymore, put it in the thing, and never touched him again, just from willpower. You can do a lot of things with willpower. But willpower is not enough to make it to heaven. It's not enough. There has to be something stronger than willpower, something stronger than good intentions, and that is the power of God active within your life to help you live successfully for him. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For the spirit that God has given us does not make us timid, Instead, his spirit fills us with power and love and self-control. I want power to do what I'm supposed to do. I want love. I want to love people and let go of hurts. So I won't build up those walls in my relationships. I want self-control to master myself and my emotions. But all three of those things only happen through God's only happens. You, you don't have enough in you to, to carry everything this world is going to load on you. You don't have enough in and of yourself. Only through the Holy Ghost can you carry everything that this world is going to load on you. You can't love people like you need to love people if it weren't for the Holy Ghost living inside of you. And you cannot exercise self-control Three things that God says the Spirit of God activates within you. And from those three things, 
everything else flows. And when you try to do it by yourself, you will constantly struggle and fail. And it takes humility to realize, I can't do this by myself. Pride is what prevents people from responding to the Lord. Pride. But you know what I found? God has a way of breaking pride down. God has a way of humbling people, allowing situations and things to come into their life that brings them to an altar and, and brings them to their knees. I, I read a story today, of a, or yesterday rather, of a, an elderly lady who was talking about, who was tracing the family history, to, to, tell her, telling her, her grandkids and all of her family how they came to the Lord. This was, this was in the early 1900s. And she had come to the Lord and was living faithful for God. And her husband was adamantly opposed to going to church, said he would never go to church, adamantly opposed to God and, 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 and Pentecost and all of it involved. And she kept on going. She kept on praying. She kept on believing. And one day he come through the door. And said, we, let's get ready. we got to go find a church right now. This was back in the early 1900s when all the brush arbors were popping up. And you could, just about any night of the week, you could find a church. And she didn't know what in the world had happened to him. But come to find out, on his way home, his car caught fire. And his life was in danger. And he told the Lord, God, if you'll get me out of this, I will go find a church tonight. And God got him out of that situation. And he went and prayed through and got the Holy Ghost. And it changed the trajectory of the whole family tree. Multiple generations. Because God allowed a situation to happen that would humble a hard-hearted man to where he would be receptive to the touch of the Holy Ghost. There's, there's I remember my pastor years ago, there was a young man in the church that, I was a youth pastor, and he'd come to me, and he was a, uh, athletic in the school and in basketball and different things, and he come to me and wanted prayer because he had hurt some part of his body, hurt his knee, or hurt his leg or something, and I'm just gung-ho, my God, we're going to pray, we're going to believe God's going to touch you, man, you know, and I went and told my pastor in service, we need to go pray for so-and-so. And he goes, nope, this is the will of God. I was like, okay, whatever you say, I'm not going to pray for you. And at the time, I didn't know what in the world was going on. I thought we're supposed to pray for everything and everybody. But what I didn't realize and what my pastor knew was this was God's way of trying to steer this young man back to the right direction where he needed to be because he knew he was going to go off that way. Sometimes God's using situations to wake people up and get people's attention so he can try to get them back on course because he's trying to save their soul. It's not always about God answering this prayer because I don't want to suffer and I don't want to go through this. It's about, God, what are you trying to do inside of me? I used to pray, God, get me out of this. And I learned that the better way to pray is, God, what can I get out of this? Because God does not allow pain to come without purpose. And there's something in the pain 
that he's trying to use to push you closer to him. But what the enemy does is this. The enemy comes and says, yeah, you see this? You see, God really don't love you. If God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. God loved you, you, he'd already fixed this situation. And so the enemy comes in and wants to try to push you away from God. And, God. and God's sitting there going, no, that's not true. I love you so much, I'm allowing you to go through this. Because this is going to build something in you. This is going to develop something in you that I, I couldn't develop any other way than this situation in your life. But when you're trying to play God yourself, you don't see it like that. When you're trying to be in control of everything yourself, you don't see it like that. Isn't it funny how we go to prayer and we tell God what to do? Think about it. We pray like we're God. God, I, I need you to take care of this. Lord, I need you to do this. And we give God just a list. And Lord, this is all you got to do. We give him these steps. This is all you got to do, God. I've already got to figure it out for you. And God's like, really? Really? This is what you call praying, telling me what to do? Why do you think at the greatest moment in Jesus' life where, where he needed God to rescue him more than anything in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a nevertheless moment. His flesh, Jesus Christ, the man, the son of Mary, the Mary side of Jesus, said, Lord, if it be possible that this cup that I'm fixing to have to drink, if there's any way to let this chapter of my life not happen, then now's the time to let it unfold. That's the humanity of us that cries out to God and says, God, I don't want to go through this. God, I don't want this to happen. God, I don't want to drink through this cup. God, I need a job. God, my situation's falling apart. If there's any way to avoid it, God, now's the time to intervene. But then the Spirit of Christ began to pray and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And every situation you're going through, you have to have a nevertheless moment where you transition from, God, I don't like this. I'm tired of complaining about it. I'm tired of this happening. I wish there was a way out. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. I want your will to be done in my life. We want the will of God to be done in our life. You've got to embrace today earnestly believe that there is a God and that he, he exists, that you matter to him, and that he has the power to help you recover. You can be better than you were yesterday. You can be better than who you were last week and last month. You don't measure progress by time. You measure progress by change. How much are you changing to resemble less of you and more of him? Stand with me right now. You first have to realize you're not God. Then you have to earnestly believe that God exists, that you matter, and that he has the power to help you 
recover. Don't you want to be who God's called you to be today? Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word. Father, we thank you today for the strength and the meat of this word. I pray for every individual under the sound of my voice tonight. God, that they would acknowledge who you are and that they would walk in who you have called them to be. Let us glean from this word. Let us reap something valuable from this word. Bless us for the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. Greet one another over the next few minutes as we transition to our worship service.